From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka in his weekly spot here on PGA, on uh, Teeing It Up, excuse me. Would you like to appear on PGA Tour Radio? Uh, I don't think I have much to contribute. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why I said that, but I did. Um, before we get to football, uh, let me just, uh, you know, as a soccer guy, you see NBC re-up with the EPL for six years. They're going to pay $2.6 billion for this over the course of the six years. A, did you ever see soccer becoming a sport that a network would pay $2.6 billion for the exclusive rights for? And B, what are your overall thoughts on this deal? I never thought that international soccer would, would pick up here like that, especially like on the domestic league, because I you know, didn't really know what the market was like for it. But I'm not surprised by the success that they've had with it, you know, there is still a, a large group of people in this country that identify themselves perhaps with where their parents are from or where their grandparents are from, and, and with that, you know, comes a lot of diversity in what you're interested in, and some of that has to do with sports, and soccer is a big part of that, and, you know, there are other options to watch, you know, like La Liga and Serie A and, you know, League One and the Bundesliga are out there too, but the EPL has been and probably will be unless something unforeseen happens, you know, the premier league to watch, you know, uh, European domestic league soccer, and it's taken off. And I think one of their main advantages that they have is the, the time that they're, that they're, you know, on. 7 to 12 o'clock in the morning when no other sports are going on and even if you're a casual fan or you just want something to watch in the morning um, that is sports related, you know, you're able to turn on the game and watch it and, you know, with that you get fans that eventually pay attention to what's going on latch on to a team and you go from there, so I think the success they've had has been surprising because I didn't know that they had that capability but now that they've had it, they've really been able to carve out, you know, a section of your weekend that's not really being, um, you know, competed with by another sport. I mean, in the fall, you have college football. You know, if you like the pregame and everything else like that, you're watching the pregame, you know, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever it is. They still have a window there where they're able to be the only sport on the TV that you can watch until football comes on in the fall. And I think that's done a lot for them to be able to, to grab the attention of people throughout the country. Um, and then in terms of the U.S. national team, which continues this role, they beat Mexico. Um, you saw what Canada did against Mexico, which has got to open some eyebrows. Um um, down there in, in, in Mexico and then draws with Jamaica um, as this run up to World Cup qualifying continues. You're obviously an Italy fan following what's happening overseas. This condensed World Cup qualifying situation both here in, in the U.S. with these three games versus two games in the windows. I'm not sure if it's the same way over in Europe. 
But this is, but there's no doubt, this is a lot of soccer for a lot of these players in a really relatively short amount of time. As you sit here right now, are you concerned between domestic leagues, national leagues, and then whatever else they're doing for fun that some of these players are going to either A, have burnout, or B, just run out of energy in the run-up to the World Cup next year, which folks should remember because it's in Qatar. This is a November-December World Cup, uh, which is very unique. Yeah, it's it definitely concerning. And I was watching the Italy game this past weekend, the past week, and the first thing I noticed was that at least in my opinion, that the players were tired, exhausted. Um, they've, they've been playing a lot of soccer, and then in the next 12 months are going to be interesting. You still have the rest of the domestic league to play out, and they go until May. If you're in the Champions League, you know, if you're playing those games during the week, um, those, those end in a couple of weeks, but then they pick back up in February. And you're still looking to qualify for the World Cup, which there are 12 teams in Europe that are trying to do so. And, and you know, CONCACAF uh, and Cannonball um, are still are still qualifying. So you still have those games to play. And then you have the summer off, and then you start your domestic league with Champions League as well thrown in there, and then the World Cup. That's a lot of soccer. And I've mentioned it to you before when we talked about this. Top-tier soccer players are top-tier clubs are playing close to 60 games a year. That's a lot. Uh, you know, there's only 52 weeks in a year, and they only play, you know, from August to end of May. But that's a lot of soccer. That's a lot of, of activity there. And you become, I guess, preoccupied with a certain competition or with how you are giving up the minutes for your players or how you treat injuries for your players, you know, are these players getting injured in domestic league and not available then for you know important qualifying matches, or are they getting hurt in qualifying and not not available for important domestic league uh, games? It's been a lot of soccer, and it doesn't seem like it's going to go away. I don't know what the fix is for it, but there, there has been a lot of soccer, and obviously the pandemic didn't help. It's really condensed things the last two years, so we'll see what happens. There could be some good teams left out of the World Cup. Uh, due, due to the playoff format they have now and how you qualify for that. But yeah, that was one of the first things I observed when I when I was watching the game last week was that you know, these players are, are tired. They're exhausted. They're, they're playing on Saturday, Sunday. They go to their national team camps for a couple of days, and they have a game on Thursday and a game on Monday, and now they're back to playing domestic league uh, this weekend. It's a lot to ask, and, you know, us as fans, we're only expecting them, you know, we're expecting these teams to do certain things, and when they don't do it, you know, we obviously get upset, and then there's a complete reshuffle, a rebuild of what's going on on that end, so it's been a lot. Uh, I think the next 12 months are going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out with how managers on both sides, you know, manage their teams and what what people find or what teams find to be important goals for them as they move forward next six to 12 months going to be very interesting indeed we've got danny flecker with us here on teeing it up um let's uh start moving the football and uh we'll get the nfl later but um a quick question um before that about, about the nfl um 
How much time should we give to last night? I think zero. Giannis, <laughs> you know, Atlanta is just reeling. They have no offensive weapon. Uh, they knew to do. They did it. They weren't impressive doing it. I thought their offense looked a little, uh, you know, out of sorts a bit. But I wasn't expecting them to be firing on all cylinders. It was just a bad game for, for Atlanta. We'll probably see a lot more of that from them. They're lucky they have four wins, to be honest with you. And New England's a team now that's on the rise. I, I've liked what I've seen from them. You know, it seems that they've understood what they've got from a personnel perspective. They're starting to play a little bit more within their scheme on both sides of the ball. Uh, the confidence that they're starting to get in Mac Jones is increasing week by week. But they still have a lot of important games coming up. You know, they have, I, I think, the next two weeks are the Titans and Bills uh, before their bye week. So we'll, we'll see what they're made of these next you know, two weeks since we had it in December, but the game last night, I think, went up, went about as well as it could have, as well as it could have gone for the Pats, um, and about as bad as it could have for the Falcons, but I, I kind of saw that coming, given what Atlanta has available to them right now. Yeah. Danny Flecko with us here on uh, Teeing It Up. All right, um, let's move to college. Let's move to the game at noon between Michigan State and Ohio State as the Big Ten jockeys for all kinds of positions here um, as we lead up to next Saturday with Michigan-Ohio State. Right now, um, if you're a Cincinnati fan, you, you, you need to root for mayhem. You need to root for flat-out mayhem, which makes you a Michigan State fan. Um, as we sit here talking right now, the line on this game is Ohio State by 19 you seem also very confident confident that Ohio State's going to win this game. So let me flip the question on you. How does Michigan State win the game? Turnovers. They got to force turnovers. So if Ohio State's moving the ball on them, which they will, because Michigan State's defense is not that great. They have one of the top red zone defenses in the country. But Ohio State is explosive. If they can limit explosive plays and force turnovers, they have a shot in this game, but if Ohio State's converting and especially making, you know, big plays and extending the game in that sense for Michigan State where they have to play from behind and they have to chase the game, then I don't think Michigan State has a chance. Uh, you know, not there. Michigan State has some explosiveness to them, but not the same clip that Ohio State does, and that's the problem for a lot of teams. You know, they don't have the type of athletes that they do. Uh, the one way you combat that is, you know, you either have to hold on to the ball for, the, for you know, six to seven, eight-minute drives and limit their possessions, or you got to force turnovers. That, to me, is the only way that Michigan State stays in this game. And I expect them to play tough. You know, I, I was listening to some stuff uh, the last couple of days about Ohio State, and they have not covered a line in the week leading up to the Michigan game in the last seven years. So there could be some complacency on their end. There could be some looking ahead or, you know, holding things back because, you know, next week's the game that really, really matters in a sense because, you know, even if Ohio State loses, you know, they, they still have an opportunity for the Big Ten Championship given the way things might fall uh, and how things end up that way because Michigan State still has a tough game against Penn State next week. So, you know, there's still a lot of things that, if Michigan State's able to force turnovers and, you know, 
limit Ohio State's possessions and they have a shot. Otherwise, I, I think it's going to be really hard for them to go score for score with Ohio State. Um, is C.J. Stroud the um, Heisman, uh, the number one Heisman candidate for you right now? <laughs> I mean, it's looking that way. I don't think he's the best player in the country by a long shot, but, you know, you look at the top teams in the country, and Georgia doesn't really have a high to hopeful on that team. They're not going to give it to a defensive player. Bryce Young from Alabama, maybe if they're able to win the SEC championship, you know, he's going to probably be the front runner. And then you go, what, uh, Ohio State, you have C.J. Stroud, but he's probably not the best player on his team. Um, and Cincinnati, you're not going to get anybody from Cincinnati, Michigan, Michigan State. You know, maybe Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. Matt Corral's kind of falling off for Ole Miss. It's a weak Heisman class. Uh, you know, a lot of the players who thought were going to be impact players this year have had down years or teams have had down years. So I think you're looking at C.J. Shroud as of right now as the potential Heisman winner, but still a lot of football up to be played. Uh, three big games for a lot of these teams coming up. So we'll see what happens uh, on that end. Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. You told us to watch out for Oklahoma last week. Did, did you actually expect a loss? I expected a tight game. Uh, I did not expect Oklahoma to be absolutely inept on offense. But Baylor's played them tough, especially in Waco. And they were the more physical team. They took it to them. I think Oklahoma is a little bit overrated. Uh, they're still a young team, so they're trying to figure out what they're doing. Their their offense in games like this, you know, can't just disappear because their defense isn't strong enough to carry them. So the result was a little bit surprising. I thought that it would be a little bit more back and forth, but you got to give your give credit to Baylor. They they knew what they had to do. That coach uh, Dave Miranda had such success against Lincoln Riley offenses in the past. He was able to devise a great game plan for them, and now Oklahoma's on the outside looking in. Needs to have you know a, a really good performance this week um, to be considered you know for the playoff, and then they probably have to beat Oklahoma State twice. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do the next couple of weeks. I don't think they make it just because I think the top end right now, uh, what we have in the playoff, is pretty strong. I think a team like Alabama, even if they lose, this will be considered. I think Georgia's a lock for it. Uh, you know, the winner of the Big Ten is a lock for it. And then from there, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I don't think Oklahoma's getting in, even if they end up you know, sweeping Oklahoma State. Yeah, I am with you on that. Um, I want to skip ahead for a second before we, we go um, backward here. Um, when you look right now at Alabama, Arkansas, uh, do you see any chance that they look ahead to the SEC championship game? Because in my mind, they're going to win this week against Arkansas, win next week against, um, uh, win next week against uh, whoever they play in the Iron Bowl. Uh, 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 sorry, Auburn. That's my fault. Slipped my mind for a second. And and then it's obviously the behemoth matchup against Georgia. So. Do you think there's any way that Alabama looks ahead here? Because in my mind, a Nick Saban team, there's almost no chance that, that you know, they look ahead. But do you see a possibility considering this is a one-loss Alabama team? I think we see 
some different approaches from them the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to try to see if they can become a little more balanced offensively, like running the ball. They haven't been that great this year at doing that, so I think we might see a little bit different type of approach uh, you know, the next couple of weeks just to see if they're able to, to widen their ability to attack defenses. As far as looking ahead, I think just on sheer talent alone, you know, they're going to be able to win these games even if they have bad ones. I, I think Auburn could be a tricky spot depending on what's happening with Auburn, but I, I don't I don't see them realistically, you know, taking their foot off the gas against any of these teams. I just think we're going to see a different type of Alabama approach next two weeks just because I think they understand that they can't be one-dimensional going into that Georgia game. And they, and they also need to understand that they need their best players available to them too. So if they get up by 20, say, in the third quarter, they might pull their players just, just in the, the – the practice of being cautious, you know, with what they have going on, but I, I don't necessarily think they'll look ahead spot that. I think it's going to be just a different type of approach and see if they can really have their best game plan for themselves, understanding what they do well and, and how to attack that Georgia defense. Danny Fletka with us here on Teeing It Up. There is currently no line posted for Georgia Charleston Southern. Um, so here's your fun question of the week. Uh, is there any chance Charleston Southern keeps that game within 35 points? No, I'd be surprised if they score. Same. Which is why I would think from a gambling perspective that there's not even a line for this game. Um, yeah, it's going to be a beatdown. And it's just one of those things that's going to happen. And, and that's it. Georgia has, what, Georgia Tech left? Is that their only game left uh, on the year? So the next two weeks for them are really just cruise control type of games. Um, again, keeping everybody healthy, not throwing too much out there for the other teams to see. And, and just getting to the finish line, understanding what's in front of them. You know, they have one goal this year, and I think that's the beat Bama. Um, you know, not, nothing else happens for them unless they do that. So I, I think they understand what they need to do. But, you know, these next two weeks, if you're a Georgia fan, you probably can just sit back and relax and just, you know, let, watch your defense dominate and understand that, you know, you have a big game on December 5th uh, coming up. Oregon, Utah. You've been telling me, watch out for Utah, watch out for Utah, watch out for Utah. You're going to have to beat them twice. Watch out, watch out, watch out. If you're an Oregon fan, why do you feel so passionately that Utah is the team that can trip them up, similar to how Stanford tripped them up? It's a a road game. That's the big thing, right? You're going to Salt Lake City. It's a tough place to play. Utah is not a team to me that's going to be afraid of Oregon. But I do like Oregon in this game. I think from a from a physical standpoint, they're going to be able to match them. You know, unlike past Oregon teams that we thought were soft or finesse teams, this Oregon team is the opposite. They want to run the ball down your throat. They have a good offensive line. They have the best defensive player in the country, a good defense front seven. They'll be able to neutralize Utah, I think, on the line of scrimmage and then just you know, play smart football. You know, Anthony Brown does concern me a bit. Um, he's not the most explosive passer. He doesn't make the best decisions at times. But with Joe Moorhead there, they've been able to devise game plans that will that, that give Oregon the opportunity to play 
um, from the you know from the front, uh, and I think they'll be able to do that here. I, I think they're getting a little bit disrespected with the line as well. Uh, you know, three point stopped on the road against what the twenty third ranked team in the country. You know, the, I think people are people are expecting Utah to, to give them a game and possibly beat them, and that's obviously a possibility. But I, I do think Oregon has the physicality that they're going to need to go into Salt Lake and, and beat them. It's just going to be a very, very, you know, old-school football game, I think, very physical on the lines of scrimmage. You know, they're going to get after the quarterback. They're going to try to disrupt the passing game and make teams one-dimensional, possibly force some turnovers. But I think Oregon has the personnel to play that type of game and are going to welcome it. And I think they, at the end of the day, have, they have the better players in the field. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, okay, here we go to the National Football League. Um, it's a it's an interesting week, um, and you look at what Kansas City did um, on Sunday night, and that was like Patrick Mahomes saying, "Okay, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back." Do you actually believe this is for real and that they have a chance to beat Dallas on Sunday? Yeah, I do. I think what Kansas City did on Sunday was a very simple approach. They, they went back to what they did the last couple of years, and that's just get the ball out of your hands. Don't run around in the backfield trying to make the, you know, the 75-yard bomb to a double-cover Tyreek Hill. You know, if we're going to be getting too high safety, let's run the ball, let's do screen passes, let's attack underneath, let's use that just to open up the field for us on the outside. And I think if they do that against Dallas, they'll be fine. I, you know, Dallas is a good team. But at the end of the day, you still have the best player on the field on the other side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes. So if Kansas City is able to do that, Limit Dallas's run game a little bit, and you know, get them into third and long situations to confuse Dak a little bit on the back end. They have, they do have a shot. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. Both offenses, I think, will be able to exploit deep the defenses. I, I think though, Dallas's defense at times, and we saw it, you know, in the New England game, and we saw it in the Denver game, can be a little bit too aggressive. And if you do that against Kansas City, if you start pressing and you start trying to make things happen that aren't there, then you find yourself open for explosive plays. So I think that's where Kansas City is going to try to attack and try to lull them, lull them to sleep a little bit and then try to play over the top. I think if Kansas City does that, stays in their game plan, again, takes what the defense gives them, they have a, they have a shot to put up 30 to 35 points. And Dallas has to match that. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I think the spread's right on. I think whoever has the ball last wins this game. Hmm. That could be an interesting showdown on Fox come Sunday. A lot of weird games on on the slate. Uh, the the one that I want to hone in on for a second is Sunday Night Football. We have a Steeler team that's five three and one. We have a Charger team that's five and four. I know a lot of people had pinpointed Justin Herbert and that Charger squad as being a possible contender for the best team in the AFC. 
But if you look at the actual standings for who the best team in the AFC is, um, right now it's the Tennessee Titans at eight and two, followed by the Bills and Ravens, who are both seven and three. Um, so, and and it's remarkable what Tennessee is doing even without Derrick Henry. So, as you sit here right now, where do you view the um, Chargers? I think they are what they are. They're the middle of a pack team, and that's because their defense isn't very good. You know, as it gets later and later in the year, you got to be able to stop the run, and they're not able to do that. So if they play these teams, you know, especially a team like Tennessee or Buffalo, and you throw in a team like the Ravens there, they're going to want to run the ball, um, and they're good at running the ball. And the Chargers just can't seem to stop the run. Uh, so unless they're able to fix that completely, which they probably are not, it's already the 10th, 11th game of the season, you really find yourself in a situation where these teams are going to be able to dictate the types of games that you're going to be playing in. They have an explosive offense at times. You know, there seems to be, you know, situations where they get away from what they do well. If they aren't able to run the ball either, they become a little bit too one-dimensional. I also think a thing that people have started to talk about with them is that they can at times be a little too aggressive with their fourth down uh, approach. And I know that's, that's the rage in the NFL is the analytics and going for it on fourth down when the opportunity presents itself. But there are also opportunities where you have to be able to, to not go for it and trust your defense. And I think that's where they find themselves right now is they think they have a better opportunity to win the game if their offense stays on the field rather than putting that defense out there. And again, when you come to playoff football and you're playing top tier defenses, those opportunities become harder and harder to, to succeed on. So unless the Chargers figure out a way to sort of balance that, you know, that aggressiveness with the opportunity to say, even if we don't get this, our defense can stop them, they're going to find themselves playing from behind in a lot of games. So. They did an interesting game this week against Pittsburgh. Probably no bad in Roethlisberger. Uh, that's what the reports are saying. The line has been moving a ton. It opened up at three and a half, and I think it's now at six. So I think bookmakers are thinking that Roethlisberger isn't playing either. But that's a tough defense with Pittsburgh. And there's one thing that Mike Tomlin does well, and that is play as an underdog. The Steelers team is really, really good at being an underdog and, you know, playing up to that type of competition. We saw it last week. They played down to their competition. And that has been a staple in Pittsburgh from a, from a bookmaking perspective and from, an, uh, from a gambling perspective for years. I like Pittsburgh to cover the six just because uh, of that type of trend. Do they win the game? I, I don't know. Mason Rudolph isn't good <laughs> at all. But... They have the type of defense, I think, that can frustrate Justin Herbert and the Chargers, and they can might they might be able to get one or two turnovers and, and flip the game, but the Chargers have a lot to work out on the defensive side of the ball, and until they do that, it's really hard for me to, to take them as you know, a clear-cut favorite to, to make it to the Super Bowl or AFC Championship game. Any other NFL games pique your interest that we should note before we sign off on this one? Yeah, I actually love the slate this weekend. I think there are a lot of great games, you know, from the top. Chicago-Baltimore, I think it's an interesting game. How does Baltimore respond, you know, after the beatdown they had on Thursday night? 
you know, in Chicago, figure stuff out with Justin Fields. Indianapolis-Buffalo, I think, is the game of the 1 o'clock slate. I think Indianapolis is being a little bit overlooked. I love what they do on offense. I think Frank Reich is a very underrated coach. Carson Wentz scares me. Obviously, you know, he's erratic at times, but the numbers this year on him are, are great. You know, is he able to to translate that into, um, you know, big-time performances against big-time teams? We'll see. But I think that's a great game this weekend uh, to watch. Then, obviously, you have Dallas, Kansas City. Uh, in the 4 o'clock slate, Cincy, Las Vegas is a big game for playoff implications. Uh, you know, will Cincy bounce back after a couple of down weeks? And after their bye week, what does Las Vegas have left in the tank? And then you have the Monday night game, Tampa versus the Giants. You know, Tampa had a really bad week on a bad game on Sunday. What are they going to look like? Is Tom Brady going to take over the game? Is Gronk going to be back? What's Antonio Brown doing? What's that defense going to look like? You know, what do the Giants look like when they have a full complement of players out there on offense? So I think a lot of interesting games this week. I think it's probably the best week of football we're going to see from a, from a game perspective uh, this year. So I'm actually really looking forward to watching the games this weekend. Um, I will be attending a game, and uh, God knows what will happen inside MetLife Stadium. <laughs> Could be a long day. Uh, you'll probably see at least one Flacco interception, right? I I would think that's a guarantee. And probably a stupid one at that, not even a tip ball. Um, yeah, throw, throw some money down on a Flacco interception. You know, they'll probably win it back. So. It does seem like a good prop bet. Um, Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for joining us here on Teeing It Up on a Friday morning. Of course, my man. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you, brother. And enjoy your weekend, everybody.